the size of the virus isn't as important as how complex they are. And so corona is not very complex. Circovirus is not very complex. African swine fever is complex. Pseudorabies was complex, okay? Um, but there, you know, you're able to, and with pseudorabies, we got around that because we took advantage of the fact that uh, because it responded to so many th things, that as you eliminated one of them and getting marker vaccines, we had a strategy to get, to get rid of them, you know, in terms of, okay, now we knew a vaccinated pig from a wild-type pig, and we could use that. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about NutriQuest. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by servitude and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operation. Hello, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Chris Chase, uh, and he's going to chat with us about what does herd immunity really mean. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Chase. Glad to be here. Appreciate your time. And um, as always, uh, please share with us you know, your career and how you got involved with uh, you know, pig production. I know you do a lot of uh, beef uh, Cattle and those things. So just share that with us, please. Sure. So I'm uh, I'm I'm at South Dakota State, and I'm originally from uh, northeastern South Dakota. So I grew up a uh, hundred miles from where I live now, and then I uh, uh, came here, did my undergraduate degree or my undergraduate pre vet, and then went to Iowa State and got my degree. And then I started my career, and I was very fortunate. Uh, the first person that I worked for as a for, as a veterinarian uh, was in southeastern South Dakota a veterinarian by the name of Dr. Ron Lockwood, who was a very early adapter of technology in the swine mm -hmm. business. So he was doing, this is in 1980, he was doing swine herd health and he had, uh, in, in the area where we were, it was a big seed stock area. And, and, I, and I think the reason it was a big seed stock area because he was just a really good swine veterinarian. He had been there since about 1962 or so. So it had really done a good job of developing young people that he knew into the swine business so so it was, it was it was cool that and then he was he finished pigs and he was he was doing all kinds of, of things actually in in pork production and then he, because he was he's a very early adapter we were making autogenous vaccines for for e coli so this is this is before we had a really good e coli vaccine so mm -hmm. i can i can remember when i started i would i would go down there it was, it was something called the color vaccine i don't know if you've ever heard of that but uh so before before they so you would actually grow this E. coli up in milk and then feed them the milk and then if you didn't time it just right you'd have a biggest mess ever because the milk would foam over from the from the E. coli that were growing in it. Oh so, wow! Uh, but it was effective and then but then of course then companies came along and figured out okay what what can we do to actually make an injectable vaccine that would 
that would save you having to feed this this E. coli uh, tainted milk. And so, um, so so I would, so that's so, so I, I did that, and I could see, and I and I enjoyed that practice a lot because it was a it was a mixed practice. It was a, so we did a lot of uh, feedlot, and then we had some dairy perching horses, and then uh, and then we had a a major Pekingese puppy mill. So you're like, so, I, so, my, so even though I had hardly ever had night call, if I had, it was almost always with a dog. So anyway. Oh, but, uh, no kidding. But I, I could, I could see going forward that biotechnology was going to be a, a place to be. And so I wanted, and I, when I, even when I was an undergraduate here at South Dakota state, I knew I wanted to do, to do research. So I actually left there after five years and went to uh, graduate school at the university of Wisconsin, but I had, I had a classmate of mine there and this is still when, in southern Wisconsin, there was still a fair, a fair amount of swine around. So I, when I was in, uh, uh, in Madison, I actually would work uh, on weekends in the practice of Stoughton, and I took care of most of the swine work. Uh, although by the time I left there, the, the swine numbers in that part of the world had started to go down too. And so um, I then uh, went from there uh, to uh, Wyoming uh, for a couple of years, and, and there I was I had nothing to do with swine Mm -hmm. other, other than because now you're in, in Wyoming and if there's a swine there, it's uh, basically for one thing and that's show pigs. And, uh, yeah. and that, and that was about, that was about it. So then, so I had kind of a couple of years where I didn't do too much swine work. And then when I came back here in 92, back to, to South Dakota state, I, uh, the, one of the practices, my former boss in Viberg went to Oklahoma state and he had one of his classmates that was in Flandreau, which is just, 20 miles south of here. And so even when I was in practice in Viberg, he would call us about swine stuff all the time. And, uh, and so when I came back and he knew I was going to be back in the area, he uh, had me work. And so I did a lot of consulting. First I did a lot of weekends down there, but then I, then I just did the swine consulting. And we got a, in this part of the world, we've got a fair number of Hutterite colonies. So I started, you know, I worked with them uh, until about 2009. And then, uh, so 2009 was, kind of when I finished up doing clinical work. Now, the mm -hmm. other thing though that I do, so I'm at the university, we do immunology, we do um, virology uh, are, are my two big things. But, but in 1994, we started a contract research business called RTI. So we do, and our business is almost split now equally between swine poultry and cattle. Uh, so we do, we do, I mean, you name it, uh, uh -huh. in terms of swine challenges, we do it. So we're basically, uh -huh. We, we test vaccines, but we certainly look at a number of other things besides that as well. So, wow. um, so, so, so I'm, uh, I, I've got my, my fingers in a few pots and then I do a fair amount of speaking, um, all over the world. So, and then write a few books and have a good time. And that's, uh, that's what I do. That's super cool. You said 1994, right? For that research facility. Yeah. Yep. So it's gotta be one of the first few, um, uh, disease challenge facilities or not in the country. Well, it, it, you know, and it, the way that it, the way that it started out, like a lot of things, it started out kind of a as a part time venture, and then the first thing that we did was in let's see, it was been ninety seven or ninety eight. We actually we we put we put in a double L nursery and to, as a Medicaid challenge facility, and then we used a, a lot of challenge facilities that were on campus. And then uh, uh, I went to Iowa State, and I know Jim Rothrow well, and, and he had uh, you know BMI and uh, or BMI down in. in uh, in Ames. And, uh, so, you know, we've known those guys for a long time. And so, yeah, there weren't, there weren't a lot at that time. And then we've, we've just continued to grow and uh, probably a little bit different is we're just, we're, we're a little bit more diversified than, than, uh, than the group in Ames is, but because uh, we do a few more species than they do, but uh, yeah, 
it, it's, uh, it's it's been an interesting. It's been very very interesting game. Yeah. Super cool. Well, and and I don't think in your lifetime you'd ever think that uh, immunity or immunology would become such popular topic, right? Oh. For a hundred percent of the global population, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing. So the thing that every virologist ever learns about. I mean, it's like you know, lesson number one is the nineteen eighteen pandemic. That's always. You know the thing that we you know we can still sort of touch and feel a little bit in terms of that and, and realizing the impact of that so i mean that's been always kind of i think you know on the forefront of people but again thinking mainly of influenza and then you know and in the 2009 even though it was labeled a pandemic i think we all realized that compared to this it was nothing it was a it was a matter of where the cases were but it wasn't a matter of the severity of the disease or and on top of it, we you know dealing with a, a, a disease that we're already vaccinating for. But yeah, I, I I can't say that I'm totally surprised by this, just from the standpoint of how you know we're, how the whole global economy. And I think in not and not thinking globally. How, I mean, this just shows you how you get in trouble when you don't when you don't really cooperate very well. And and but yeah, it's let's just say I, you know. I had, if I had to do a do over, I would do something different. That would, I mean, in terms of how we handled this, because it was, right? uh, I, I mean, it's, it's certainly in terms of, I, I mean, I think I look at, and those of us are diagnostic mess. I mean, we look at, you know, what happened when, when PED came in mm. and, you know, and how we were able to diagnosis and how, you know, how we got on, you know, I mean, yeah. as much as you could get on top of it, we know, yeah. you know, if, if vaccine is what you're waiting for, we still are, you know, not exactly there with PED. That's right. Um, but but in terms of being able to you know being able to do the di- I mean the thing that's that that struck me about this whole thing is the whole lack of diagnostics the lack of being able to help give people data mm-hmm. and, and and the swine industry knows that very well in terms of very dra- data driven we you know we do we do surveillance we do we do sequencing of viruses we're looking to see how things are changing right. we're testing testing testing. And, and trace back, and, I, and, and and the interesting thing is to me, I've got I have a good friend of mine who's a who's a small animal veterinarian, and she's dealing even with friends of ours that are you know, this is wives of veterinarians or husbands of veterinarians uh-huh. who the concept of trace back just is is foreign to us, and it's like it's it's more it's it's, it's you know it's invasive. You're you know you're dealing with my with uh-huh. my you know personal privacy, and I'm going, but we know that that's <laughs> how we control disease. We've been doing that forever, and and, yeah. and it's effective. And yeah. and not having tests, and not having you know, so if nothing else is good that's come out of the the, the whole this whole shutdown is at least trying to get. I mean, I'm, I the thing I that I sort of watch every day just because it's sort of a the only news conference I see that's sort of data driven is I watch the the state of New York's report like every day. Okay. Because it's the one where they, I mean, they, they, they've been testing, testing, they've, you know, they've got more tests online, they give you some data. And, and so that to me, that that's encouraging that we're seeing, we're seeing data, we're seeing like, they, they, you know, they, everybody thought, well, if you look at the first SARS outbreak, and, and it's, this has been pretty true in general, with human diseases that most of the, of the problems have been related to healthcare workers, in other words, healthcare workers, becoming infected and then spreading it and then they you know they're being the sort of the mate the major the and i think in the first sars outbreak it's like 20 or 30 percent of all the cases of course there weren't that many cases in the end were all healthcare workers because because they didn't understand but i was reading something today because there's a there's a, a dispatch that comes out every day that i read that that puts all the the reports for the, you know for that particular day called promed um together and, and like they were talking about laredo texas where that 
that happened where they had a case come in, they didn't recognize it um, as, be, and this is early, okay, um, as being COVID-19, and then it ended up, um, you know, fortunately for them, uh, healthcare workers got infected and were passing the virus before they knew okay. that they had COVID-19. Wow. And, and that, you know, and all the contacts that they have and, you know, and they were fortunate because somebody early on thought, you know, could this be that? And they did. So, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't allow it to get too far out in front of them, but that's, that's always, that's always the issue. But that idea of being able to then to, to test and then be able to go back and trace back is, is, I mean, absolutely key. And I mean, like I said, it's it, for us that are in veterinary medicine yeah. in animal health, it's like, this is not, this is, no you know, way. Yeah, this this is a no, this is a no brainer. Right. Why we're not, you know, why we fought, why we had fought this. So at least now, by you know, as we're opening up, the whole key though is is getting having is having testing. I mean, that's to me that's one thing we've learned in veterinary medicine or in animal health is in swine health is testing, and testing is a key thing. And yeah. if you can't test, you can't, and you don't have data, you are guessing. So. Right. It's super interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I think once yesterday I was, I was hearing about the approach that Paraguay in South America is taking. Uh, at least what I heard was uh, once they find a positive, they are testing everyone around it, which is quite interesting and somewhat similar to, to what we do in some cases in the swine industry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and so the thing is, because I, so I, was, I was watching the news conference this morning because as I've opened up, New York, what they, I mean, the big thing is that they, I mean, their biggest handicap, but wasn't the testing, it was the tracers. It's the people being able to go out and actually do the follow-up because those are the people that, I mean, you've, they've got to be able to do that detective work right? to find, to find those guys. And, 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 you know, I mean, if we, if you look at foot and mouth, I mean, it just, it just like I said, it just sort of blows my mind. You look at what, you know, foot and mouth disease, you know, not the vaccine is not that particularly effective, but yet you've seen what they've done in, when it when it went into Europe or when it's gone into into England. I mean, they're on top of it uh, right right away. And it's like this is like, gosh, this is this. Uh, it's frustrating just because of, I, I mean they had the information, they just couldn't get their act together to get to get the test out. Because when PED hit the U.S., it wasn't much different. Okay, we you know you can sit here and point all the fingers that you want. It is what it is. Okay. So mm -hmm. once it gets there, you, you know, you can, you can talk about uh, the big conspiracy theories, but that doesn't matter. You got it now. Uh -huh. okay? so you got to deal with it. It's not, yeah. it's too late. It's too late to, 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 you know, you can talk about the past as the past. Yeah. Now you got to be able to do it. But if you look at how fast of PED, we were able to go out and get on top of it. It's just, you know, and then, and then this, Area right after that, then we have because we have, we're in an area we're right on the edge of South Dakota, next to Minnesota. So we've got a, we got a fairly good sized broiler and turkey industry here. And so when that whole it, it avian, so when the high the high yeah, path yeah. avian influenza hit this area, and of course, then that's a different approach, obviously, because now we're talking about birds, much different generation time, and it's you know it's you identify and then you you know and you go in and, and you clean out the houses that, because you got a generation time and mm -hmm. it's much shorter and you can do something about that and we, we can't afford to do that right. obviously in the swine industry and obviously we don't do that with people so anyway yeah, but uh, yeah. uh, being able to you know being able to test and then to control biosecurity and I think you know I guess the other good thing about you know this whole time is getting people to think about masks and bios you know biosecurity. And those kind of things, and you know, it's been interesting to me. So, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, in, in, at our diagnostic lab as well, we've been as busy as we've been. Okay, it, ha it has had uh -huh. no business. It's had no effect 
on our business, okay, uh -huh. in terms of the diagnostic lab, in terms okay. of caseload, those kind of things. Uh -huh. and, this, and the same thing that at our CRO, but, but here you're talking about, you know, you've got a very well-trained um, people that are in the biosecurity business, but you can't afford any of those people to go down because now you have to shut your facility down in terms of, you know, and, and, and so we've not had any cases either, either place. And, and again, just, we just kept saying to people, do the, you know, do it your job, which you're going to, you know, when you go home, just think the same way. You just got to think the same way in terms of, you know, how you interact yeah. with people and what you're doing that you've, you're already trained. You've already got the skill set that you need. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we've still done separation things at both places, but I mean, that's why I'm at home yeah. uh, rather than, than at the lab. But I mean, that's turned out to be, you know, one of those things that you've always, you know, you just got to be aware of. So anyway. It's very interesting. Now, herd immunity, if you can just define, uh, like you said, most of, uh, as in the sign industry are familiar with that, but it's it's always good to refresh. So if you can define herd immunity for us, Dr. Chase. Certainly. The thing about um, herd immunity then is it's it ends up being it's the, the, the ability to get immunity within the herd where the idea is that you get it high enough so that even if there's an animal that's in the herd that's susceptible, they're, they're going to be protected. And that's because whether it's the virus or bacteria, it has to, you know, has to typically multiply from one animal to move to the next animal. And so the whole key thing then is you've got to have, you've got to be able to achieve some level of immunity in the herd. And so typically, you know, what we'd like to do is have a vaccine because then we can control that in terms of, of, of what we're going to administer the animal and make sure that that animal actually develops the immune response. And so that, you know, typically uh, at some point, and I think of, you know, my, uh, the, the best case I think of sort of in recent history where we've done a good job with that is look at PCV2. So PCV2, and I can, I can remember in the, uh, I, I was on these you know, calls forever and that would be on, and this is the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. You hear about all this stuff going on in Canada. It's not happening in any of the flows that I'm dealing with, but mm -hmm. it was still interesting to listen to. And then when you saw it, and then you realize all, all the kind of things. So we're you know back into things like feedback and all other kinds of things that are not, you know, they're they're, they're you don't you can't control the dose. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things you can't control about that. And then when and then when the vaccine came along, it was like you know it was like a winner that quick. It was like unbelievable. Yeah. You're looking at 25 percent mortality, and all of a sudden you're back down under five again. It's just, yeah. it was just like it was it was awesome. It was like you know to me one of the one of the Again, where we went from start to finish, you know, new emerging disease, made the diagnosis, came up with some stop gaps, and then moved on to get a, a, a quick vaccine. And, and the key there then is how many of those animals that you can get to develop the immune response. Because the other thing about immunity is that immunity is still about biology. Okay, so it's right. still about that I've got the animal still has to respond, and it's going to be it's age dependent. Uh, it's certainly stress is a huge factor with that. And so when you look at developing herd immunity as, as a vaccination program, the first thing that you've got to realize right from the get-go is you're not going to get 100%, okay? And then the, the other thing that comes into that then is how infectious is the agent, okay? And so we know, um, so if you look at circovirus, for example, circovirus is, is probably, we use a term that we use, which you've certainly seen, is, is R0. Right. It's basically is how many other animals or how many other people can be affected efficiently by that infected person typically again mm -hmm. super shedders are kind of the they're the ones that kind of throw this off a little bit mm -hmm. but but typically you know so we talk about r naught and so an r naught like we know COVID-19 it's between one and two 
mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't sound so bad on the surface, which it wouldn't be if you had herd immunity. Because yeah. the problem is when you don't have herd immunity and everybody is susceptible that when that gets in, that you're infecting two people. Okay, right. and then you're right. infecting two more people, and then it's geometric. And so the key then with, with herd immunity then, as we manage swine disease then, is to get, uh, so one is that they develop that immune response, that we get it into them prior to the time of exposure, so that again, we're, and, we're, and we know that again, we, it's not gonna be 100% of the animals are gonna respond, but in most cases, if we get 70 to 80% of them to respond, that's gonna be, that's, that's yeah. probably, for most things gonna be good enough. Now, you, as soon as you, you change the curve though, when you go into things that are even more infectious. So if you talk about foot and mouth disease, then you're, I mean, basically, you gotta be at the top of the curve. And that's and that's why typically, you know, and, and now they develop new strategies for foot and mouth disease, it, but it used to be like it was those high path avian influenza. I mean, you would go in and then you would, you know, you would identify the area, you would quarantine it, and then, and then you'd go in and you'd remove, you know, those animals would all be euthanized and you'd have a complete depopulation of that area. But, but, but they discovered the last time and they were effective with this in the Netherlands as they did this thing called ring vaccination. Mm. So you'd work your way around uh, the edge of where the outbreak was in a certain buffer zone, and then they would they would work a ring around mm -hmm. that. Right. Then you then you knew that at least the animals that were in the ring had been vaccinated. Okay. Mm. And then that so that kind of gave you a barrier around that. And so you know so we so even in things that are highly, uh, I, I mean that you you need ninety five a hundred percent. With, with something as, as contagious as foot and mouth disease, but they were able to, to, to rather than the thing going rampant, that ring that ring vaccination protocol worked very good. And well, you know, we right now, I mean, the one that we're obviously in the swine industry worried about is African swine fever. Yeah. And again, you know, the problem there again is effective vaccine. And certainly if you look at so far, there hasn't really, that I've seen really a good strategy you know, other, other than going in and, and you know, identifying and, and removal in terms of being able to do that right now. So foot mouth disease certainly gives us some promise, but until we get a, you know, a vaccine for African swine fever, and of course, you know, this obviously COVID-19 has taken all of our minds off mm -hmm. that, but we can't forget about that because that's still yeah. lurking out there. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and, 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 and always, you know, and certainly a big threat. And so, you know, we, we you know, I think PEDV, we, you know, we, we, you know, we saw what that can do. Uh, you know, the good news about that is, is that it, that it's uh, a disease that we get, they did develop good immunity against, but then now subsequently, and I, cause I'm old enough that, you know, TG was a, was a, was a big issue when I, when I was in, in uh, swine practice to begin with. I mean, that was a disease that we, that was, you know, catastrophic as far as we were concerned. And, and, you know, and the vaccines were, were so, so, uh, and then, you know, the virus did, did an amazing U-turn on us. And, and that's the other thing. So usually we think about, mm. you know, viruses, when they make a turn, they, you'd say they want to make a turn to make things worse. And it turned out that's not what happened with DG. Okay. DG mutated and changed from being, so the thing about coronaviruses is that they can be, as we've seen with this one, with COVID-19, is they can be both respiratory or enteric, you know, and, and obviously TG is a very much more of an enteric disease. And then it mutated and it lost part of its spike protein, lost about 150 amino acids, and then it became more respiratory, and then it became porcine respiratory coronavirus, which doesn't cause hardly any disease, but gives you tremendous immunity against TG. And mm -hmm. I mean, we don't talk much more about vaccine for TG, but this is a case where the, I mean, because for the virus, it actually made more sense, right? So I cause a mild disease, uh. I can infect more animals, 
but uh, I don't kill the host and I can just kind of hang out. Because uh, uh, when they kill the host, that's the end of the virus, okay? So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so TGE was one, one of those where, uh, you know, and you can make, there's a, there's a few other examples of that where the virus actually made things, you know, the mutations, because usually you think about mutations, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be worse, it's going to escape the vaccine and all this, but that was a case where actually it made things much better. So that's why I always have a job, even when I'm retired, I, it's uh, just like viruses and immunology never, you know, never, never into it. Job security, right? I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's always, a, it's, it'll, you know, it's, it, will be the, it will be the final frontier and we'll never get to the end of it, okay? So never. anyway. Wow. Very interesting. Do you think um, circovirus vaccines was, you know, one of the top five discoveries in the last 20 years in pig production? Uh, do you think, is that quite an outlier from a response standpoint or is more like closer to average? How do you categorize um, circovirus vaccine versus well, the rest? So, I mean, so the thing that would give me that, so the, the beauty of circovirus is that it, it has just sort of one major, you know, epitope or antigen that we would be concerned about in terms of immune responses. And so that's, that's the thing that uh, it made it, and it's small, it's small. It's, I mean, you can, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a one-tenth or it's about one-thirtieth the size of a coronavirus mm -hmm. and about one-fifteenth the size of PERS. So, I mean, it's not, it's not right, but, but we knew what was important and there wasn't very much changes in it. And, it, and, and so that to me, you know, that, that's, what made, that's what made it a good target, okay? Now, I'd, I would say to you that to me is also still the good news about as you look at, as you look at COVID-19. I think the spike protein is really as far as we know with most coronaviruses, unlike PERS, where we've got maybe two, three, four targets that, that we worry about. I mean, two, two main ones, but other ones that we, that we worry about because we just haven't sorted that out very well. And, and there's other viruses that are that way. I mean, I, I work with a, a cattle virus called bovine viral diarrhea virus, and it's closely related to hepatitis C, and that virus, uh, or, which is also in the same family as classic swine fever. And, you know, we've got okay vaccines for classic swine fever, but we still look at it predominantly again as a, as a foreign animal disease because still not great and it's sort of it's that way with, with you know in that whole in that flavor virus family but and they're even well, if you look at it, it looks like it's simple but there's about three or four proteins in there even though it's even smaller than uh -huh. purse so the, the good news is the less complex there so it's, the size of the virus isn't as important okay. as how complex there and so corona is not very mm -hmm. complex circovirus is not very complex uh African swine fever is complex. Pseudorabies was complex, okay? Um, but there, you know, you're able to, with pseudorabies, we got around that because we took advantage of the fact that uh, because it responded to so many th things, that as you eliminated one of them and gave marker vaccines, we had a strategy to get, to get rid of them, you know, in terms of, okay, now we knew a vaccinated pig from a wild type pig and we could use that. So, so those are, I mean, that's, that's how we, can, I mean, you can use vaccines in very, you know, very sophisticated ways in terms of, and again, mon and the key there was monitoring because you're looking to see whether or not when you pulled that in, pulled that blood from that pig and measured for pseudorabies was whether or not it was a marker or not. If it was a marker, then you knew it was a vaccinated pig and then move on. And if it wasn't, then it was a wild type and then you need to go in and, you know, and, and do some testing and do some trace back on that herd. But I mean, it was a, but again, it's the same thing we talked about. It was testing, trace back, testing, trace back, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they, you know, they call it, you know, con it's, 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 it's contact, but uh, uh, that's trace back as well. That's yes. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. From a practical uh, standpoint, 
uh, I was going to ask you, Dr. Chase, uh, what would be one thing that you'd like to emphasize, you know, that folks can um, implement at the farm level and uh, so we can improve swine herd immunity in general? Well, so, so, so for, for one thing that we, and, and this is just the way it's always going to be, is that uh, if you look at flows, I mean, how we, you know, how we, how we move pigs and, and when we wean pigs and those things, we're always, whether we like it or not, we are always behind the eight ball with a wean pig because we're probably weaning them seven, seven to 11 days before their immune system is really up to speed, which is by about 28 days. Okay. So we're mm -hmm. on the front end of that. Okay. We're, we're in front of that. So one of the things that I would just say in general that we know about, about immunity and in, in immunology is so is first of all, is hydration. Hydration is a really important thing. Because when it comes to immunity, uh, we talk about the innate immunity, and we used to talk about that in terms of, of like the mucus and, and those kind of things, and then uh, the antibodies that flow out into that mucus, and when we're, you know, we're looking at taking ropes and saliva and all that stuff. I mean, that's all a liquid base, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and if that animal's not hydrated, okay, so first of all, that barrier is, gonna, is going to get depleted. It certainly changes then the ability within the animal. If I vaccinate that animal, for the immune system to work, cells have to move. They have to move from, because they're made in the bone marrow. Like I get to a lymph node and then the, the vaccine I got to give has got to move from wherever I give the injection site. So if it's an oral vaccine, still got to move to a lymph node. Those things that have to move. And if, and if I got an animal that's dehydrated, it's not going to happen. Okay. So hydration, you know, so, you know, when we're looking at hauling, you know, so if I'm going to, if I'm hauling pigs, you know, from a, from a farrowing facility and then, and, you know, to nurseries or, or to finish your where I'm going to, I'm, I'm better off letting those pigs recover a little bit in terms yeah. of getting, getting hydrated before I give them a vaccine again, just yes. so they, they can respond to it. And then the other part of, of why to wait, and again, we have the reality, you got the reality of labor, you got the reality, of when can you do it? Because every time I handle them, that's a stress. So right. how you can work all that out is, you know, so in most cases, what do we do? We give to them prior because they're trying to get ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. and, and again, if they're hydrated and, and their intakes are good, because the immune system requires energy and it requires protein. So I want to make sure that I'm ahead of that game. And then, and then you've got vitamin E, selenium, copper, and zinc are all very important for the immune system. So I want to make sure that you know, those, those trace minerals are, are there, that, that animal is hydrated, and, that I, and, I'm, and my intakes are where I want to before I, before I try to ask that immune system to do very much. So those, are, those are just sort of basic management things. And, and, you know, and, and then the less stress that you can, you know, and again, that's easy to say, okay, and say, well, uh, what's stress? Well, stress is almost anything, okay? So whether stress <laughs> is, whether, whether I'm talking about weaning or whether I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, moving them into nursery pens, and then, I, and then if I, you know, and, and, you know, we've gotten away from some of that stress by, you know, by weaning, and, 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 and so it's a nursery finish approach, because that helps us in terms of all the social groups and, and those things that are, which are also a, a big stressor that you have. So again, you know, everything you can do to alleviate stress, and then I would contend, you know, the other thing from an environmental standpoint is, is, is heat stress. Heat stress is the hardest, the hardest thing on them. And I don't know if you've ever had Lance Baumgart on here. Lance could go on at length about yeah. heat stress, but he, that's, that's been his career. And, and uh, it really is. It's a big deal. Yeah. Because heat stress then leads to issues with, uh, with leaky gut. And then we understanding right now that, that in, in fact, a lot of things, which is what we're seeing with COVID-19, is that the more inflammation these people have, 
the worse the disease is. And that, where's the inflammation come from? It comes from their own immune system. So, so whatever we can do to sort of to, to minimize to minimize stress, whether the stressors are heat, whether the stress is not have enough intake, uh, microbiomes. So that's just you know getting that animal started so that it's bacteria because it, it ends up being a huge part of the immune response in a positive way is what goes on in that gut and that respiratory tract. They're given signals to keep that immune system and that gut tight so mm -hmm. that you don't have leaky gut. But as soon as you start to see um, leaky gut, you'll get inflammation and inflammation. And, and I can, this was one of my, when I was in practice, it was, I had, and this is when APP was still mm. endemic in certain herds. And, and I had a herd that was just about 15 miles from here. And in ever inevitably, whenever someone either there, either a leg got plugged in in a in the feeder or somebody forgot to order feed, two or three days later, you'd see the worst outbreak of APP in that herd. I mean, it was like clockwork. Oh, wow. and, you know, and and it took me a long time for that the to go on. Well, guess what was going on? All of a sudden, these you know they were they're off feed for twelve hours. Now they're back on feed. Changes that microbiome. It changes that whole leaky gut issue. Mm. You get and an interesting thing is you get inflammation in one part of the, of the body, and it'll affect another part. Mm. I think we've you know we've, we've underestimated that in terms of how could something in the lung affect yeah. the GI tract or vice versa, and it does all the time. Interesting. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've lived seventy percent of the immune system is in the gut. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the immune, yeah, it's the largest, it's the largest immune organ. Because we, we used to just think about, you know, cells as being there, their job was to secrete and absorb. Heck no, they're, what they're doing is they're, they are, they are producing something called antimicrobial peptides, which is kind of the body's natural antibiotic. They're making, and, they, and that's induced both by the commensals. So we talk about, you know, the use of prebiotics, probiotics, and those things. Probably a lot of what they're doing is inducing those, but they're also producing hormones and cytokines that actually keep the gut anti-inflammatory. Because if you think about it, I mean, the gut and the respiratory system, I mean, they're, they're constantly in, interacting with bacteria. And if they were just responding to it all the time with an inflammatory response, we would never grow pigs. We would never have any pigs to, to grow because they would just, that, that's, so they have to have a way to sort that out. And that, those cells are the ones that sort that out. So they're, so they're doing lots of things. So besides, you know, what we think about secretion absorption, they are kind of they're kind of the referees, and they're also producing things that say, "Okay, this is okay. I need to you know make the gut tighter, uh, make sure I don't overreact to this, and that th this is actually a positive signal to make that that pig healthier." Super interesting. You mentioned about um, hydration, and uh, I remember several producers the in the first few hours there after winning, instead of. You know, first, instead of handling them like crazy, sorting them out, which, which is another topic, yeah, yeah. Uh, just instead of putting feed in the feeder for the first 12 hours or so, yeah. just water. Yeah. So just, like you said, just get them hydrated, you know, yeah. and then um, you can worry about uh, feed after that. Yeah. Um, very good. Any, anything else on this topic, uh, Dr. Chase, before we move to the three questions we ask every guest every episode? Again, another thing that we don't we don't have a lot of control over, just because you know we we we've got our facilities figured out in terms of of uh, what the flow is going to be. But obviously, density is a big thing. I mean, if you look at COVID nineteen, mm -hmm. where where do we have the biggest problems? And and so again, stocking density 
is yeah. always going to be an issue for us in the swine industry. And so, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, not proposing that we do uh, pasture farrowing, but I mean, it's just, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, I yeah. think we just have to realize that there, when it comes to the immune system, there's a few things that we, that we just, we have to work with and that are always going to be risk factors that we just have to realize that, you know, we got to manage, we just have to, we're going to have to manage those because that, uh, you know, density is a big issue. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make a, a barn flow and you got so much labor, you got all those things, you know, so, but, but density is, don't forget about it. So I guess that's my, that's my take on when, if, if that, you get that temptation to put a few more in over the stocking density, I yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a fine line right there. It is. Yeah. That makes total sense. The, the other thing that comes to mind here, there was a study, I wouldn't say about 10 years ago from K-State where they vaccinated a weaning or seven days after weaning. Yep. And uh, it was interesting that um, seven days or so after weaning, they, you know, they perform a little better because, uh, oh, yeah. again, you know, right at weaning, they're already stressed to come with a vaccine. Right. So that, in, that intakes, you know, intakes aren't there. You get, you're stas- establishing social order. I mean, you're doing all those things that are, that are, that change the dynamics and, and those are all stressors. And yeah, so, yeah, so you get like, so typically if, if you can get ahead of it and again, ahead of it, it's not a day or two ahead of it. It's like if you can get, you know, a week ahead of it and then, and then afterwards. And, then, and that's what we've seen in, in the cattle business. Interestingly, I mean, there's been a lot of work that's been done, you know, in, in, in young calves, but you're seeing at least in weaned animals that a lot of people are looking now at two weeks, even a month afterwards with some types of vaccines, just to make sure that those animals are really, uh, you know, performing before they, before they, because, because the other thing that, you know, that, that you got to think about is vaccines themselves. So not just the act of administrating, but depending on the type of vaccine, they too are inflammatory, just the, you know, the vaccine on its own. So I want to give that animal the best shot to respond. And, and that's going to be when it's under the least amount of stress. So super interesting. And it's even more important today, right? With less uh, use of antibiotics. So oh, these absolutely. things, oh, things yeah, that yeah. were detailed, oh, that, that's, that's minor. Well, so minor are going to become major now, I think. Right. Yeah. When you're going to, you know, and I think what you're going to see is, you know, and because this has always been a, an area kind of a contention, you know, the prebiotic, probiotic, you know, the using, the, I mean, we're going to see more of those. And, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see mixtures because we begin to understand how the mechanisms of action are. And then being able to so be more strategic about that, and I think you're going to see that increase. And in, in, and I think people will be sort of less disappointed because you know the other other problem with allows it was a silver bullet. Like here's one thing that will do it, and it's not just one thing. It's going to be a it's going to be a combination of things. And I think that's the that's the things. But you know, until you understand how they work, you can't be strategic about it. So it's yeah. back to show me the data. And then when I have data, I can use it. Okay, so. Yes. No, perfect, perfect. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. It is time to our famous three. Now, Dr. Chase, um, transitioning to the three questions, uh, what's your favorite uh, pig-related book or resource? Well, 
you'd have to expect that to me it would be diseases of swine. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so yes. I think, you know, those, those guys have done a really good job of putting that together. And I know, you know, and it, it's a little self-serving because the, the, the chapter on immunology <laughs> just happens to be written by my, myself and Joan Lunny. But uh, I think, nice. I think that, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's a, as, as books go, I think that's a, it's well, well conceived. They've done a really good job of, you know, keeping it as current as they can. And I, you know, so I, my hats off to my colleagues at Iowa state that, uh, to continue to uh, put that, that book out there. Cause I think it's a, it's a good resource. It's a, uh, it's a thousand page or so, which is amazing. A lot of yeah, great yeah. content. But, and, and you look at, I can, if you look at the, look at the immunology chapter, if you look at the, at, I think it was the, the 10th edition. Um, I worked very hard to get lots of pictures in there. So anyway, so. super cool. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest that I haven't dig into that chapter. So now I'm, now I have a homework here. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, how about your favorite book or resource in general? So, so one of the things that I, uh, I'm over 60 now, so, so I, it's sort of, you look at the, there's a, a book that I like that's, that's called um, Falling Upwards uh, by Richard Rohr. But uh, uh, another book that I like is sort of, sort of, you know, kind of figured out where you are in life is a, is a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And so that's a, it's a book that, uh, again, just, it's how you can look. I mean, so what the author does is he looks at the painting by Rembrandt, the return of the of the return of the prodigal son, and then he and then he just takes that to how that might relate to his his life. And I think it's a it's an interest it's an interest an interesting book. It was just a, an interesting read, and I reread that book every so often because it just sort of helps me stay grounded. So that's super cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I was not yep. uh, familiar yep. with that book. Yep. Very cool. And then lastly. Uh, what do you think sets apart successful uh, strong professionals from those who are not? So to me, it's, it's thinking outside the box. I mean, like I said, I was, was fortunate in the first veterinarian that I ever worked with was a guy that, uh, uh, you know, we're doing autosis vaccines in 1980. He, he was already doing them and just like, well, this, you know, this was, was way cool. And, yeah. uh, but I, I, th I think, you know, being, being innovative, and thinking outside the box and being an, I think an early adapter. And I think, you know, again, a lot of things come along. So you've got to be able to, you know, be data driven in terms of the things that work, but, but not being afraid to take a look at things and, uh, and being excited about what you do. Cause as soon as, if you're not, you know, when you start to lose that, when you lose the enthusiasm to do things, then it's not much fun. And when you, uh, you know, uh, but so to me being innovative, um, you need to be uh, interactive uh, you need to be able to, um, you just got to have good communication skills. I think you got to, you know, you got to be able to look people in the eye and, uh, you know, kind of size them up and figure out what, what to do. But I think, you know, like me, the big thing is just being an outside the box thinker. And, you know, and I, and I love hanging out with guys like that. They, uh, and women like that, they, that's cool. they, they, they just get my batteries charged up. So uh, yeah, that's cool. We're, we're good for each other. So, yeah, no, I love that. Now, Another question is on this, this topic is uh, you and I were talking before on, um, you know, teaching or, or communication. If you can give a word about the whole thing we, you and I are talking about as far as um, animations, video, if you can get a, give yeah. a little bit of thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so one of the things that, that, you know, and I, and I sometimes, I mean, it's just, uh, you try something and going to said about being an innovator. I mean, and, and so I tried something in 2004 in Hawaii, a bad place to have to try something. <laughs> and, uh, and that was just to really start to use, um, because when you, when I'm trying to teach immunology, it was trying to teach something 
that is very fluid, literally. And, 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 and you look, you're looking at things where, where cells are doing things and interacting and, and using and, and trying to teach that with static models. To me, it was, it just, it, it just, it just never came across. People got bored with it very quickly because it just, it didn't make any sense. And, and, and so being able to take things and, and especially that are complex and then being able to break them into their, their component pieces, but then being able to sort of reassemble it, okay, by showing the motion, showing how things interact together, I found has, that's been a really key concept for me over the years to, that I think has helped me, you know, make myself successful in terms of getting those ideas across. So not, not maybe I'm the greatest teacher in the world, but it's just like mm-hmm. how do you take that concept yeah. from something abstract or something where you put three PowerPoint slides up and then now make it move. And when you make it move, then all of a sudden they get it. And I, I can tell you, I, I mean, I've, there's some animations I've shown them I'm, and I've had people come from a long ways away when they say that I'm going to speak. Cause they say, every time I see that, you know, you say something else with that and I get something else out of that. And the only, and, and that's again, to me about using motion in animations is that you can, put things together. And I think most of us are visual learners and some of us are, you know, maybe we're Einstein's and we can see this abstract thing in the back of our head, but I think most people are visual learners. And so being able to get it in front of them and then reinforce it. So, I mean, you see layout, here's the concepts and then put those concepts into motion and put it together. And I typically I'll put together infinite rule of three of, you know, in terms of speaking, you know, tell them what you're going to say, tell them what it is and then, review it, yeah, what it does, um, yeah. is, a, is a key thing. And, and I think, you know, just reinforcing that. And, and you know, and, you know, and I'm just fortunate that, you know, I'm around other people that, that kind of, that, that think that way in different ways about how we can teach in terms of, of being more visual. So. Well, Dr. Chase, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for, for your time and your work and uh, really appreciate it. All right. Good. Nice talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road. Hey everyone, please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics and we even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our wait list. We'll talk soon.